week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Esther chapter 4 verse 12 is where I want to bring us to tonight. Somewhat of a very famous passage of scripture. Yet back home in Miami, we took about four or five weeks in the month of January to study the book of Esther. I just feel like tonight that this little book in the Bible, there is some hidden truths that I think are going to encourage you in your current situation. And tonight I don't have a whole lot of teaching. I've just got a message burning on the inside of me. And in many ways, I just have this prophetic phrase for your life. And I just pray that you walk out of this room tonight with a little bit more hope than what you walked in here with, believing that you still serve the God who can take impossible things and he can make possible things out of them. Let me read these verses to you, and then we will jump into the word. It says in verse 12 of chapter 4, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Tonight, I want to use this passage of scripture and I want to preach to you from the subject. It's time for a turnaround. It's time for a turnaround. I don't know if that's a word for you personally. I don't know if that's a word for you and your family. I don't know if that's a word for your business, for your health. But I believe that is the word of the Lord for you tonight. It is time for a turnaround. Do you believe that tonight? Come on, if you believe, why don't you just go ahead and give him praise in advance. It's time for a turnaround. Lord, we thank you so much that we're here. And God, tonight, Lord, we sense that you are at work. So we open up our hearts one more time, Lord. We believe, God, that you are going to speak to us. We believe that you're an active God. You're a God that is alive and well, moving right now in this room. So, Lord, I pray that you would take my my weak words, Lord, and you would provide strength to people in their hearts. Tonight, do something, Lord, supernatural. We believe it, and we thank you in advance. And if you believe that, all of God's people said. All of God's people said. Come on, one more time, give him some praise in this place. I like a loud church. This has been single-handedly the greatest year of my entire life. You're rich, we're one month in. I know, I'm talking about 2018, people, okay? 2018 was the greatest year of my life uh, because for eight years, we were praying and hoping that we would have a child. And after trying for so many years, doctors were telling us that it was almost going to be impossible. Yet I love our God because he shows up at the right time. And January of 2018, my wife gave birth to our firstborn son, Wyatt Wesley Wilkerson. And yeah, if you weren't here in the morning services, this is my son. He is so cute, man. He's just the best. He's walking now. He has this really cool wave. We're like, Wyatt, wave. He goes like this, you know. It's like super like, you know, uh, pageant girl wave. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I love being a dad. Like, I don't even, like, I'm, like, I just, you know, I've heard, I heard dad say in the beginning, like, yo, like, it kind of takes a little while to connect with your child. Not me, bro. Like, I cry every day. 
the first day in the hospital, I'm laying there in the hospital. The nurse comes over to me. She's like, Mr. Wilkerson, it is so important that in these first few days that Wyatt is here on earth, that you spend time with him in what we call skin to skin. I had never heard of this in my entire life. I said, what does that mean? She said, well, your shirt must come off and his shirt must come off and he must lay on you skin to skin. This is for his nurturing and for his development. Folks, it's like 13 months later and we're still doing skin to skin. This kid's going to be 15 years of age. Bro, take your shirt off. Let's go. Skin to skin. I want to develop you. I love it, man. And January was his birthday. And so everybody in our church has been bringing him gifts left and right. And one of these gifts that he got, I don't know if you've seen this before, but it's like, it's like this, like, puzzle thing, but it's not really a puzzle. It's like, you know, put the triangle with the triangle, put the square with the square, put the circle with the circle. And it's kind of funny and cute to watch this little boy try to put it together. Cause he's like trying to jam the pieces together. And it's interesting because as I watch him, like, you know, for me and hopefully for you, it would not be difficult to put these shapes into this puzzle. Like, amen. Okay. Like hopefully, right. Like, like it's not that it's, there's not very many pieces. It's pretty simple. Yet for him, in his situation, with where he is at in his development, this is a difficult task to put these puzzle pieces into this puzzle. Now, now tonight, once again, like that wouldn't be hard for you, but imagine for a moment if we started adding more pieces. Imagine if we added 4,000 pieces, or if we said, all right, we're going to go to 5,000 pieces. What if I was like, all right, we're taking it to 50,000 pieces. Some of you are like, deuces, I'm out. Like, I'm not called to that. But the more pieces we added to the puzzle, the more and more complicated it would become. Imagine if I was like, yeah, let's put six or seven billion pieces into this puzzle. Every one of us in this room would say that puzzle is just too big for me to put together. In many ways, this is a beautiful illustration of what it looks like to trust God. That you and I on the faith journey, what we're doing is we're we're trusting God that somehow he can take all the puzzle pieces, that somehow he can take all of our stories, somehow he can take all of the broken pieces, the good pieces, the bad pieces, even the ugly pieces, and somehow he can work all of those pieces together and he can tell a story and he can create a picture that will not only bring him glory, but it will also bring you to the destination he has called you to. Come on, anybody have that kind of faith tonight? That's what we're doing. I'm trusting God with all of the puzzle pieces. The book of Esther is a beautiful story. And if you've never read it, I just encourage you, you got to go and like check it out because this is a real rags to riches story. This is about a Jewish orphan girl who is picked out of a beauty pageant to become queen of a superpower known as Persia. But then with her authority and with her position as queen, she ends up risking her life to save her people. Like you think Disney has good stories to tell? Read the Bible. Jasmine, Ariel, and Nala got nothing on Esther. Okay. This stuff is good. You got, you got to, you got to read it, man. Yet Esther, out of all 66 books in the Bible, it separates itself from all of the books in the Bible with this one fact. And this one fact is that in all 10 chapters of the book of Esther, not one time is the name of God mentioned or even referenced. All 10 chapters, you will not find the name of God show up. And it makes you ask the question, if this is God's book, 
how come God's name doesn't show up in this particular book in the book? I think there's a good reason for it. And I think it requires us to use a little bit of logic. But there will come times in life, if you haven't experienced this yet, just live a little longer, where it appears like God is invisible. There will come moments in life that you, you can't find God, so you think. There comes these moments that you're looking for God and you can't sense him and you can't hear him and you can't feel him. And you're wondering, God, where are you? Yet there is a theological word when it comes to this idea of God's invisibleness. The theological word is the word providence. Everyone say providence. Providence is this idea that God is behind the scenes at all times throughout history and he's pulling the strings and he's making sure that his sovereign will will occur. See, the book of Esther is in the Bible because there will come moments on your faith journey where you cannot trace God, but you have to learn how to trust God. There will come moments where you can't sense God, but you have to know that he is behind the scenes pulling the strings. There will come moments where it seems like God is absent, but you got to know that you know that you know that he's still present. There will come moments when you are waiting on God to show up, but while you're waiting, even though you can't see him and even though you can't hear him, you got to know he is still working on your behalf. He is putting the puzzle pieces together. Does anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? It's time for a turnaround time for a turnaround. God wants to take all of it and he wants to tell a story that will bring him glory. But you got to trust him in his providence. Esther's story is amazing because there's so many things that we could pick up from the story. Yet the big thing and the big overlying theme that we must learn as believers is that here in the book of Esther, we learn what a God opportunity looks like. I think we live in a culture today that everybody is settling for good opportunities and many of us are missing the God opportunity. Understand that every open door that opens up for you is not a God opportunity. Just because somebody said yes and somebody said you should do this does not mean it is a God opportunity. In Esther's case, what we quickly see is that many times God opportunities come disguised as obstacles. Esther is an orphan girl. She is a borderline slave living in Persia. Both of her parents have died. She's being raised by her uncle Mordecai. She has every reason in the world to complain. She has every reason in the world to quit. Yet somehow in the midst of obstacles, a God opportunity presents itself. See, many of us, what happens to us is that we don't understand that God is knocking on the door of our life, but many of us are too busy complaining about the noise. See, when God shows up, many times he shows up in what appears to be a problem. Yet God loves problems because problems are a platform for him to show off. I don't know what you're complaining about today, but I would encourage you that every problem in your life on the other side of it is purpose. On the other side of it is providence. God is fixing to turn things around in your life. Come on and thank him in advance if you sense he's bringing a turnaround about. God wants to turn it around. 
King Xerxes is looking for a new queen. And so they put out a pageant and somehow Esther is selected amongst all of the people. And then the Bible says that Esther, she has to prepare an entire year before she even meets Xerxes. You know what I've learned over and over again that God opportunities, (laughs) the door widens for those who patiently prepare. Like just, I wonder tonight, if God showed up and answered your prayer request, would you even be prepared? Like, would you be like, would you be prepared? Because like God's knocking. You can't be like, yo, come back later. No, Esther, she has to prepare an entire year before she even meets Xerxes. I don't know what she's, that's like a lot of spa treatments, a lot of manicures, a lot of pedicures, just get right, you know. But what I love is that she starts living like a queen before she even becomes a queen. Many of us in this room, we're we're waiting for God to do something. But hear me loud and clear. You should be living like God is doing what you're waiting for. Come on, I feel like I'm preaching a little bit better than you're receiving it tonight. You ought to be living like God is doing the thing that you are waiting for. A couple weeks ago, I was, I was meant to fly out early and I'm not, I'm not super good at waking up early. I apologize. I know the scriptures are full of people that are supposed to wake up early in the morning and seek God, but I am still becoming. And, um, I was meant to go on a flight and like the pickup was like 5am and come on, let's be honest. Jesus is not even awake at 5am. And so (laughs) I'm laying in bed and I, I missed my alarm and literally my friends are pounding on the front door. Somehow they managed to get in the house. That's another story. I don't know how they do that. And my friend, he, he gets into my room and he has to like, he's like, shit, my wife's in bed. He's like, Rich, Rich, you have a flight to catch. And I'm like, oh, bro, sorry, you know. My, my bags aren't packed. I'm not ready. And I thought to myself, how many of us, we look like this in the kingdom of God. That God is knocking on our door And he's saying, I want to take you on the trip of your life, but we're not prepared. We're not living patiently, preparing for the opportunity that awaits us. I love Esther because she's just trusting God. She's believing in the providence of God, that he's putting the puzzle pieces together, that he's telling a story that will bring him glory. And there, all of a sudden, we discover that she gets picked. She becomes the queen of Persia. It is awesome. Yet, like so many good Disney stories, (laughs) there's always a bad guy. In this story, the bad guy, his name is Haman. He is the Jafar of the story, okay? And literally, Haman is this chief noble of Xerxes. And Haman's kind of full of himself. You got to go read this, Esther chapter 2 and 3. And every day, Haman would come to the courtyard. And when he'd come into the courtyard, all the other nobles, they would bow down and they would worship and give honor to Haman. However, Esther's uncle, Mordecai, he's a Jewish man. And because he's a Jewish man, he only serves one God. And so every time Haman would come in the courtyard... Mordecai would refuse to bow down. It wasn't that he didn't like Haman. It's just that he was only going to worship the one true God. Well, this offended Haman to the point that he got so angry. He wasn't just angry at Mordecai, but rather he got angry at all of the Jewish people. So he comes to the king 
deceives the king and creates an edict that on a certain day of the year, every Jew living in Persia can be slaughtered and there will be no repercussions to those who commit the crimes. The only problem with this edict is that Esther has now married Xerxes, but Xerxes has no idea that Esther is a Jewish woman. Meaning the edict is not just going to kill Mordecai and the Jews. The edict will actually kill his very wife. Esther chapter 4, Mordecai now comes to Esther. And he says, hey girl, uh, you've been living up in that palace for five years. And uh, we've been silent about you being a Jewish girl. But now is the time. (laughs) Let the man know. That you are one of us. Don't think just because you open that palace that you will not reap the repercussions of this edict. You need to reveal who you are for I believe that you are in this position for such a time as this. You know what's wild to me? And this this is kind of a side note. What's wild to me is that Esther has been living as queen for five years and in five years she has never even told Xerxes yet that she's a Jewish woman. You say, Rich, what's the point? The point is, is I think that we need more Christians who are committed to playing the long game with people in their life. Say, what do you mean? I think so many Christians just play short game. We think it's like, let me get a t-shirt that says Jesus reigns. And let me, let me show up to work and let me be bold for the gospel. No, that's not bold for the gospel. That's creepy for the gospel. You're scaring people away. I was literally like, I was raised in church. My first slow dance was to our God is an awesome God. I have problems, people. Shut up, okay? And like, I, once again, like I'm not trying to bash, but like I was raised in a tradition that they would teach us personal evangelism. And the tactic that we were taught as young kids was that we were to go up to total strangers that we did not know, walk up to them, say, hi, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Talk about a conversation starter. I'm sure some people got saved, but I'm also certain that we turned off a lot of people. See, if we care so much about someone's eternity, then we must also care about their reality. And if you're really a follower of Jesus, your testimony should come before your title. People ought to be able to watch you and say something's different with that guy. Something's different with that girl. Something about that person. They've got a joy. They've got a peace. They've got a confidence about them. I got to get what they've got. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The salt of the earth. Just start getting salty with people. Be salty. Make them thirsty. Make them thirsty for what you got. You've got the living water on the inside of you. And if they get a taste of that, they will never thirst again. Come on, somebody. Give God a shout of praise in this place. (laughs) Esther's just up there in the palace waiting for the right time. Someone say the right time. See, we don't understand that timing is everything. Nothing worse than getting the right thing at the wrong time. Yet Mordecai has now come to her and said, yo girl, like this is the time. You have been brought to this place for such a time 
as this. You need to reveal who you are. You need to let them know who you are. And I love Esther. She doesn't just make a quick decision, but rather she goes to God in prayer and fasting. We don't hear the name of God, but we know as a Jewish woman that she's going to fast. It means that she was denying her flesh in order that she might open up her spirit to get a word from the one true God. And finally, after three days, she decides, all right, I'm going to go to the king and I'm going to risk my life for my people. You're there for such a time as this. Some of us were in this room tonight and we're in a season of life that we're not happy about. It might be your job. It might be your marriage. It might be something with your kids. It might be your church right now. I, I, I don't know what it is, but have you ever taken some time to consider that you are not where you are tonight by coincidence, but rather you are where you are tonight by providence? Could there actually be a reason for the season? Could there actually be purpose in the pain? Could there be hope in the hurt? Could there be a design to the disaster? Could there be a miracle in the mess? Could there be life even after death? Esther decides, all right, I'm going to go to the king. And here's what happens. It's such a cool story, man. I love the Bible. You got to read the Bible, bro. (laughs) She's like, all right, I'm going to go to the king. And so she, she goes to the king and the king puts out his scepter, which means that she has favor with him. And the king says, all right, Esther, what is your request? What is your petition? And I, I love Esther. She, she gets ready. She gets ready to make her request. And she, she says, um, she says, king, um, I want you to go to dinner with me tonight. But can you bring your friend Haman with me? <laughs> He's like, all right, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll come. I'll come, my Persian princess. And so... They go to dinner that night and they're eating dinner. It's Haman, it's Xerxes and it's Esther. (laughs) And finally, once again, Xerxes goes, okay, Esther, my queen, my my Persian princess. I don't know if he called her that, but I just think it's cool. And so (laughs) what is your request? And I I love it. You got, you got to, you got to go read this. She's like, she's like, King, my petition is, and she gets, she, you gotta, she gets ready to say what her petition is. She gets ready to call it out. She gets ready to say it. She's like, yo, this man in your courts, he's a bad dude. He wants to kill me and all of our people. But she says, my petition is, and she gets ready to say it. But as she gets ready to say it, she pauses. She stops. Uh, and something stops her. Something causes her to pause. She, she, she wants to say it, but she can't say it. Uh, can we do dinner again tomorrow night? Can we just do this again? That's what she said. She goes, can we just do this again tomorrow night? Can we just meet up again tomorrow night? Me, you, and, and Haman. She, she paused. So we go, well, why did she pause? Here, here's our moment. Because once again, what you're going to learn all throughout the book of Esther is over and over again is that God doesn't want you to just make the right decision. God wants to make you the right decision at the right time. And so often, God will pause before he produces. Whew. This is something we got to get in our spirit that many times in our lives, God pauses right before he produces something incredible. See, what happens to us is many times we misinterpret God's commas and we think that they are periods. And so what we think is we think God is winding down, but I've got good news for you. God is not winding down. God is warming up. You thought he stopped, but he's just about ready to get started. It's time for a turnaround. Somebody give God a shout of praise in faith tonight. See, it's crazy because you got to go read through it, but she pauses. 
pauses. And because she pauses, it allows so many things to produce in the story. Haman leaves the dinner and he's like, yo, I'm the man. I'm good with Esther. I'm good with Xerxes. And because she pauses, it produces Haman to leave the party. He goes back home to his wife. He complains to his wife. He's like, yo, I just saw Mordecai again in the courtyard. Dude still won't bow down. I want to kill this man. His wife says, you know what you should do? You should build gallows 70 feet tall. How mad do you have to be to build gallows 70 feet tall? He builds the gallows, but because she paused, it produced Xerxes to go home that night. And when he gets home that night, he can't sleep. Coincidence. No, providence. He can't sleep. He's like, can somebody bring me like a boring book to read? They go, here, King, we're going to bring you the chronicles of your reign. He opens up the book. And as he starts reading the book, he remembers in Esther chapter two, that Mordecai actually saved his life. He says, Hey, have we ever done anything for Mordecai? Have we ever done anything nice for this guy who saved me? And all the guys are like, no, we never done anything. He's like, oh, okay, we should do something. But because Esther paused, it produced Haman to walk in the next day, feeling like the man. And when he walked into the king's courts, there the king was. And the king said to Haman, hey, what would you do for the man who saved my life? But because she paused, it produced Haman once again to think that he was in good grace with the king. So Haman thinks that he's talking about him. And he says, I'll tell you what I would do. I would get a horse. I would get that man a robe. And I would march that man all through Persia saying, this is the king's man. But because she paused, it produced Xerxes to say, yo, go find Mordecai, put a new coat on his back, put him on a horse and I want you to march him all through the city and let everybody know that's my man. Oh, come on somebody. I'm trying to preach to you tonight. Because she paused, it produced Haman, the hater of Mordecai. And it turned Haman into the celebrator of Mordecai. See, when God pauses, it can actually produce haters and turn them around into celebrators. Is there anybody in this room tonight who knows what I'm talking about? Just because God paused does not mean that he's getting ready to produce. Yet the key thing is why did Esther pause? It's because she's led by the spirit. Oh God, I pray that we would be a church. That here's your voice. God, we don't want to go one step without your spirit. You do understand that the Holy Spirit's function in your life is twofold. That is to release you or that is to restrict you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are led by the spirit and you need to make sure you get a word before you move. I don't, I don't want to go one step. I don't want to go one step without the spirit leading me. You know what is radical about this story? This has got me blown away. Esther chapter one through four is a nine year process. Nine years. Esther five, six, seven, and eight, 24 hour sequence. You want to know why? Because God is slow fast. This is is the whole reason why you came tonight. He is slow. And then he's fast. Nine years. And you know what? Let's just turn this whole thing around 24 hours. Because you serve the God of suddenly. Suddenly he can turn things around. 
suddenly things can be reshaped. Suddenly there can be a miracle. Suddenly healing can come to your home. Suddenly you can have a breakthrough. Come on, does anybody believe in the God of suddenly? It's time for a turnaround. Something is going to turn around. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. Get the worship team up here because I'm just going to holler for the rest of the time. Just bring the whole team up. I just... Just going to empty the whole clip. Anything I got, I'm just bringing it out. You serve the God of suddenly. But understand that suddenly is usually on the heels of slow. He's he's slow, fast. But when God moves, he, he moves suddenly. And you say, Rich, well, when does God move suddenly? When things are ready. That's just a word for someone tonight. When does God move suddenly? When when things are ready. If he's not moving suddenly, it's not ready. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm going to live like God is doing what I'm waiting for. It's like, have you ever baked a cake? Not like I've baked a lot of cakes, let's be honest. But like, it's like baking a cake, right? Like what, you get all these ingredients. And like, if you think about all the ingredients, like by themselves, they're not very desirable. It's only when all the ingredients get put together. So you get like, you know, flour, you put the flour, stick of butter, you know, teaspoon of salt, raw eggs. I don't know what goes into a cake. And then, and then what happens? You, you take all these ingredients and by themselves, you wouldn't just eat raw eggs, but you put them together and then it goes into the fire. And once that cake is done cooking, when it's ready, you, you pull it out. These are how God opportunities work. Like you got to go through some stuff. You, you need like a butter stick of failure. You need three cups of pain. (laughs) You need two salty relationships. Someone's like, that's a word for me. It was salty. (laughs) You need, you need some raw eggs of rejection. I don't know, but by themselves, they're so undesirable. By themselves, you want to quit. By themselves, you're like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm sick of it. I don't need this faith thing. But what you don't understand is that God, he takes it and he puts it all together. And you got to go through the fire of this thing called life. But you better rest assured, God is baking up your future. God is baking up a God dream. And he's going to pull you out when things are ready. When you're ready, you're coming out. When it's alive. I wish, I wish, I wish I could tell you. Like, I wish I was that good to tell you when it's going to be ready. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not God. The puzzle pieces are too many. It's like seven billion pieces. But what we do is we trust in God that 
he is a providential God and that he can put all the pieces together and he can turn things around and he can use it for his glory. I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Some of you have been following Jesus and you know this to be true. Sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes you got to go all the way till the end. Sometimes God will take you to rock bottom so you can discover he's the rock at the bottom that you can't get away from him, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the God of the turnaround. Now, what I love about God is God will use everything. Someone say everything. Oh, he uses everything. God will take bad stuff and he'll use it to do good stuff. God will take negatives and he will bring about positives. God will even use the devil. Oh yeah, because God needs a place to put his feet. Some of you need to get a revelation tonight. The enemy is under your feet. He's under your feet. He's under your feet. It's time for a turnaround. It's time for a turnaround. It's time for a turnaround. He pauses and then he produces. Haman, Esther 7. He just walked Mordecai through the streets of Persia. Yay, the king's man. Yay, the king's man. You ever have to do something you don't want to do? You're like, I'll do it, but I'm not going to put any enthusiasm into it. Yay. Dude walks right into his house. He's coming to complain to his wife. But the moment he walks into his house, all of a sudden Xerxes eunuchs come in. They say, Haman, you've got another dinner to go to. Before he can get himself prepared, he's brought to the dinner. And he's sitting with Esther and he's sitting with Xerxes. And now Xerxes says, Esther, tell me what your petition is. Now this time the Holy Spirit does not restrict, but rather the Holy Spirit releases. And she says, King, have mercy on me and my people. For you have signed an edict that will destroy my entire people. And I want you to know I am a Jew. I've been living under your roof the last five years. And if I found any favor with you, I'm asking that you would turn this around. I'm asking that you would reverse this. I'm asking that you would change this. And the king somewhat bewildered and almost dumbfounded. He says, who tricked me? Who did this? And there Esther points and says, it's this man, Haman. Xerxes gets so upset that he leaves the room. Now Haman falls on top of Esther. He's begging for her to save him. He's saying, please, please, please. And while he's on top of her, the scripture says that Xerxes walks back in. If you thought man was hot before, he said, what are you doing all over my wife? And he sentences him to death. And as he's sentencing him to death, one of the eunuchs says, uh, Xerxes, your boy Haman, he's got gallows 70 feet tall in his backyard. And Xerxes says, hang him on it. Watch this. The God of the turnaround. The gallows meant for Mordecai were turned around and used on Haman. Not just that. <laughs> The king's ring is taken and it was on Haman's finger, but it's turned around. It's put on Mordecai's finger. 
all of Haman's estate is turned around, given to Esther. Esther turns it around, gives it to Mordecai. But that wasn't the greatest turnaround. Then the king decided, we'll sign a new edict. And the new edict is that every Jew in this land, they can defend themselves and they can fight for themselves and they can even take revenge on any Persian who comes to destroy them by killing their family and their children. Would you believe that that day, nobody went and attacked the Jews? In fact, the scripture even says something even deeper in Esther chapter eight. It says that many Persians came to follow the one true God because as they looked upon the Jewish people, they said there's something different about these people how on earth could they be protected like this how on earth could they be used like this God has not blessed you to bless you God has not promoted you so you can say whatever you want God has not taken you to the mountaintop so you can stand alone. No, God has put you on a mountaintop that you could grab everybody through the valley and you could bring them to the top with you. He wants you to bring about a turnaround. It's time for a turnaround. He's turning things around. He's turning things around. We're closing. We're going to worship tonight. But you say, Rich, I'm not Esther. You're right. You're not. In fact, if that's your goal tonight, walking out of this room, you have missed it. God, give me the spirit of Esther. No, we don't need the spirit of Esther. We got something better than that. You see, every book in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it is placed in the Bible because it's telling you a story. And it's telling you of one to come. Oh, I know we're reading about a Jewish girl named Esther, but please see the outline. Please see the trace. Please see the foreshadow. For Esther is actually telling you the story of Jesus. For Jesus is the true and better Esther. For Jesus Christ, he didn't just come and risk his life. Oh, it's better than that. He came and he gave his life. He laid his life down. And now because he died for you, understand that anything under the sun, anything that's going on in your life, you better believe that it can be turned around. Why? Because he is not dead, but rather he is alive. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It's time for a turnaround. They put him on a cross on Friday. They thought the story was over, but they didn't know about the providential God. They put him into a tomb. (laughs) The only problem was the tomb was not a real tomb. The tomb was a womb. For Jesus was a seed that went into the ground. And make no mistake about it, the thing that makes Christianity different from every other religion on the planet is that you can go to every other leader's gravesite and you can find their bones there. You can go to the tomb of Buddha, you will find bones there. Go to the tomb of Confucius, you will find bones there. But baby, you can walk up to the tomb of Jesus Christ and you can shout and you can make some noise because he is not there. He resurrected. And if he resurrected, it means you can resurrect for the same power that conquered death hell in the grave it lives inside of you and at any moment things can turn around thank you for listening to this week's podcast we hope you were blessed 